I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, all bark and no bite. All bark and no bite. Usually we tend to think that, at least I did as a kid, I guess, thought of it in the realm of discipline. Right, a teacher that would maybe yell at you or fuss at you but never actually do anything. And those are the ones that eventually, once the students figured it out, had a really hard life. Uh, because once you realize you're never going to get in trouble, well, that's when the shenanigans started. And I guess there's that, that's the negative side of it, of the, the person who's all bark, it's all noise, it's all volume, it's all yelling, but there's no bite, there's no discipline, there's no consequence that follows it up other than the words. And there's a positive side of that same kind of idea. Uh, sometimes we call them visionaries, the people that are filled with all of these great and grand ideas. Hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. Let's go do this thing. Let's do that thing. And then when it comes time to actually implement it, they have no concept of how to do any of it or ever actually will. Maybe you have that person as a friend. Um, you've probably known a number of them throughout your life. The person who, man, when you want to sit down and have a brainstorm, they are so much fun. Because they have ideas from just way off on the far side of the moon that are so exciting. Sometimes they can get that energy level up. And then once you go to actually talk about doing it, it's like, wait, what now? Follow through? What is that? I don't know what follow through is. Why would I ever follow through with something? It's so much more fun to think about it. Or maybe it's your personality type. It's so much more fun to start it. I'll start the idea now, but I'll, I'll never have the energy to complete it. I'll start that novel. I'll never read it. I'll start that project. I'll never complete it. Because that's a danger, I think, for the, the Israelites here in this part of Exodus where uh, they've been at this for a while now. And they've been hearing God's law to them, and they've had some consequences. Thankfully, the Lord is not one of those that is all bark and no bite. Uh, Instead, they've had some very harsh consequences connected to their disobedience. But now we're at the point where you have to go, okay, are we actually going to follow through? Are we going to be one of those people that are all bark and all bite, that are all talk and no follow through? Are we going to be one of those people that starts our 15th theological book at the same time and never reads any of them? Not that I'm talking about myself at all. What kind of people are we going to be? Are we going to be those that hear God's command and go, oh, I love that. How generous our God is. How gracious our God is. How loving, how patient, how kind. But then the second it requires anything from me, well, I can't be bothered. It's just, it's too hard. I don't have the bandwidth. I'm not emotionally ready. I can't do it. You can think about all of the various objections that the Israelites could have. They're implementing his law for the first time, and that would be hard. It would be a challenge to begin to think about behaving in this way. I mean, you've been in Egypt for four centuries, and much of that time you've been able to behave however you wanted to behave, as long as the Egyptians didn't catch you. Now out here we have to behave the way that God tells us, and it's a learning process. It's hard. It's hard. 
I don't like it. And then on top of that, our God has given us this massive building project. I mean, we're building a tent for him and building a tent for him with, we'll say, somewhat primitive tools, certainly by our comparison today. And the entire thing, more or less, is going to be covered in gold. So it's a lot of work. It's hard work and it's heavy work. And it would be so easy for us to go, well, I just can't follow through. I just can't do it. It's just too much. In fact, reading verses 4 through 19, it's that list of what they have to do. And this part's actually been in the book of Exodus before. It's almost identical. They just added some ands in where there weren't before. Look at what Israel has to do. Gold and silver and bronze and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen and goat's hair and tans, ramskins and goatskins and acacia wood and oil for the light and anointing oil and fragrance. That's a lot. And to think about trying to marshal a nation to be obedient to build this thing correctly. And I, I can't imagine what that would be like trying to get all of Israel moving in the same direction when they've demonstrated at this point over and over and over again. They don't really listen to directions very well. And here we have this building project which requires the most specific of specifications. The blueprints are incredibly technical as to what they have to do. It's for their God. It's connected to his holiness. It's to reflect that in the very way it is constructed. And you could imagine if you're in kind of Moses and thinking through, well, you know what? The time for talk is over. Now is the time for action. Now is the time to build the house of God. Boy, it was really fun thinking about that this week, wasn't it? As we have our own building project going on outside, thinking about the comparisons and the correlations between the two. Recognizing that now it's time to actually kind of put their money where their mouth is, to not just have bark, but to be filled with bite, to to actually do it. Verses 20 through 29 is really where we're going to look the most focused in terms of their response. We get to see it's marvelous what God is doing. God has commanded his people in the past to do this thing. And then in verses 4 through 19, largely we see now is the time God is saying. It's time to work. It's time for Israel to be obedient. It's time for Israel to put into practice what God has commanded. And then in verses 20 through 29, we see God accomplishes his task. God accomplishes this building project. It's going to be finished in the next week's sermon, but he accomplishes it. And it's intriguing what his primary mechanism is for accomplishing his purposes. At least in this case. It's his people. 
I still marvel at this. I can't get over it that when the Lord intends to work inside creation, obviously his word and spirit, that's the primary mechanism for doing it. The secondary mechanism that he works inside creation is his people. I mean, it really is mind-boggling if you think about it. How much he chooses to use his saints to do things. I mean, just think about us in the room here. Look at our track record. I mean, our track record just for us in the room. I mean, do you want the God of the universe to be like, you know what? What a great commission. It's in your hands. We got I trust you. You're good. Please, no. I, no, don't. <laughs> no, no, please. Pick someone better. Find someone more competent. Do it yourself. You're the almighty God. You never make mistakes. You sure this isn't your first to pick us? Interesting, he uses his people as the primary way that he's going to accomplish this. His word and his spirit being worked out through his people. And a number of things kind of jump out that are highlighted in this section over and over and over again. It highlights verse 20 and 21, that 21 really. All of the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. They immediately go away, and you get the impression that they go get their affairs in order and immediately come back as quickly as possible. This is not one of those kind of hemming and hawing and dragging their feet. You know how it is when you tell your children to go clean their bedrooms. And after that, they can start their homework. Suddenly, that bedroom task gets ten times longer, doesn't it? It's amazing. It can become an all-day thing to clean the room because they don't want to do homework. No, that's not what's happening here. Here, instead, Israel is quick. They go out. They get what they need. They come back. 21, they came. Everyone whose heart had stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. It was mentioned in verse 5, that generous heart. This, it's interesting here how, from the very beginning, it's highlighting that one of the things the Lord is using is the generosity of his people. This is not a body of people who have been manipulated into giving. It's not a body who has been guilted into giving. It's not a body that feels terrible and so they will, you know, pull out their wallet and give a couple of bucks. It's a body whose heart has been filled with generosity, an overflowing commitment to the Lord to be generous to Him. And I'll say, if you want to look at this church's history, there are a lot of things we've done quite poorly over the last 25 years, long before I got here and long after I've been here. A generous spirit has never once been one of them. I mean, it's really and truly, it, there's fun thinking about how to preach this passage because this is one of those sermons where it's like, you're doing a good job, please don't stop. You've been doing a great job for decades, please don't stop. You're doing a great job since as far as I know this church was founded, please don't stop. Here you have Israel being stirred up with a, a generous spirit. It's not one of obligation, it's not one of manipulation. Interesting to think about having kind of long-term impact for how the church operates. You may not realize that. That's why we moved our missions giving into our regular annual budget. 
That's why we don't do the standard kind of oftentimes way that PCA works where you have your, your missions only funded out of your like love offering gift. It's so hard for that to continue to be filled with generosity. So easy for missions to become equated with guilt, and we don't want any of that. Give generously to the Lord. We will give generously away from that. The Lord is so kind. In fact, actually, that's the next thing you see here in terms of their their giving is it's being motivated by this willing spirit, this overflow of love for the Lord. But it's interesting how they're giving out of his generosity to them. Everyone who comes, they bring contributions for the Lord for the tent of meeting. And you find out, what are they bringing? Earrings, signet rings, armlets, gold objects. Everybody's bringing gold. Where do slaves get gold? Well, we were already told they were... They plundered the Egyptians when they left. God caused the Egyptians' hearts to be turned so that the Egyptians gave all of their wealth to the Israelites, which they then took out into the desert. It's intriguing how what they are giving back to God is a portion of what he has already miraculously given them. He miraculously turned the hearts of the Egyptians so they wanted to give to the Israelites to get them away from the land to maybe buy a goodwill or something of the sort, but to get them to go. And here you have out of this great abundance, I mean, it really, if you think about it, they're in the middle of the wilderness and God in verses, you know, really four through 19 has given them a laundry list of amazingly expensive stuff. I mean, remember, part of the, uh, the temple has coverings, which we think are probably, they're sea cows. We, we probably think they're like manatee skins. Where do you get that in the wilderness? Where do you get this much acacia wood? Where do you get this much gold? Where do you, where do you get this many gems? Where do you get this finely twined linen that's going to make all of the garments? Well, you certainly don't get this if you're running, you know, with your tail feathers on fire out of a nation fleeing. It's no, only when God brings you out in his might and power and he causes it to be given to you. It's that same idea that's often mentioned here when we pray for our tithes and offerings, isn't it? God has given to us so generously, we give back out of his generosity. It's God's provision that we bring. Common ideas, we've heard this before, but now it turns to new info, bits that we haven't seen yet. Verse 22 highlights something that's, I guess in many ways, would be a little bit shocking at the time. So they came. Both men and women. Whoa. This generosity, this opportunity for service, this involvement in the Lord's house is not simply confined to the men or to the family heads or to the noble elite. In fact, actually, it's for all of God's people and all different kinds of people. Here we have men and women mentioned, and then we see in just a little bit the diversity of the types of gifts that they're bringing. I love verse 26. 
some woman who has been laboring in anonymity for years, doing a task that she thought was miserable for how many decades, suddenly has opportunity to use her unbelievable spinning skills to spin the yarn needed for God's house. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. I I love that. I mean, it's like being like all of the women who had been, let's pick normal mundane tasks that you do all the time you never even think about. Washing dishes, who washed dishes faithfully for decades and decades and decades, finally got to do it for God's house. I love how here the Lord is expanding the involvement, and this is something we have not yet seen in the book of Exodus. To expand it, to include all different kinds of people. And then to see not just diversity of gender and such, but now also diversity of class. Uh, You get to see that in, let's get to the right page, um, where verse 27, it highlights 26, the women, they are spinning yarn. 27, the leaders, the noble elite, the rich, uh, would have brought their stones. It's a diversity of people. This is who's involved in this. All of God's people. Top to bottom, left to right, everybody in God's family is involved. And in fact, actually, I love too how there's some who acknowledge that maybe they don't have the skills yet. They don't know what they're doing. They're not fully equipped to be able to help in the task. And this is also an expansion that happens there in verses 30 through 35. We've heard of Bezalel and Oholiab, but now something new is added to their skill set. We've already been told that Bezalel and Oholiab have the Spirit of God in them, and they've been given everything needful for all sort of kind of crafty things to make and do. But now, Verse 34, this Spirit of God has inspired him to teach, to instruct, to involve others. Again, this is not just for God's noble elite people. This is a task that is then going to be shared with all of the body of Israel. That the body itself would take up the task to build as God provides. Uh, it's been so easy, again, thinking about this and just thinking about, you know, our building project out there. And again, I want to say it, I've said it once, but I want to continue to praise you. And praise God for you. You give generously and you have from the very beginning. I mean, to think about how generously God has blessed this church. A couple of fun things to think about. The first week of September... We met our annual budget. As of the first week of September, we were sitting on a $105,000 surplus this year. Think about that, $105,000 surplus. The annual budget, the first year I was pastor of the church, the whole budget, the whole budget was $88,000. And this year, our, our actual surplus through September 1st was more than that. How richly God is blessing this body all of the rest of the year is money for the building. Keep giving. God is generous. 
And to see how God is providing in, in other ways, ways that we would not have expected. One that I haven't actually shared yet. We've kind of had this one uh, close to the vest in the session here. Is Thursday, we had Presbytery. And when we went, we asked to borrow more money from them. And they unanimously gave us 10 grand more of a loan that we weren't expecting initially. So our loan from them went from 45 to 55, which is fantastic. We're excited that $200,000 keeps shrinking by the day. And then, without us asking, they gave us an additional $10,000 just for free. Because they love Christ Ridge. And they love the Lord Christ. And they know this is the Lord's church. So that loan that we thought was, ooh, yay, here's $10,000 more. And then there's $10,000 we don't even have to repay at all. How God is generously Blessing his people. I like sermons like this where we get to contemplate what the scriptures command to put your money where your mouth is, where it's time to act and not just time to think about it and then to go, yeah, and this body has done that brilliantly for decades. Let's praise the Lord. I would say maybe a couple of thoughts as I've thought about that this week in terms of reflection. Uh, Two of the the key pieces that are added in here that are new, I think, are uh, certainly important. One is uh, to acknowledge just the kind of the diversity, the full involvement of the body of Christ. Not everybody is going to be in a position where they can financially give aggressively to the building. And praise God, that's what his design is. We're thankful for that. We know that that's how God has built this portion of his body in this season. But it doesn't mean that we can't aggressively serve. Whether that be serving in the nursery or teaching Sunday school. Whether that be helping with administrative tasks, which we always have need for. Helping with the various things in the church. Helping clean up after a fellowship meal today. Coming to worship at 830 so that there will be seats at 11. All of the various tasks that we have in the church, uh, needing all different kinds of gifts and different kinds of people. But then here, and I think it's significant that in this construction of the tabernacle here at the end is where we get the idea of the instruction of passing it on. The the element of teaching, of, of instructing, this is fun for us to think about. This church has been successful in this in so many ways for two decades and a half. You know, they always talk about in pastor land. I'm sure you know all of the things that are talked about in pastor land. Uh, One of the things that are talked about is that 20% of the people of the church usually do 80% of the work. Which is really an amazing thing to think about. That means 20 people at this church do 80% of the labor. And that has never once been true for Christ Ridge. At least not to my understanding. I've never seen it true in a... 11 and a half years of service here, I've never once seen that number. It's almost always been at least 50%, if not closer, 80% of the people have done 80% of the work. The challenge is going to be, though, as we grow, to see that number actually drop and not increase. That's one of the things that we've, we've talked about at session meeting, Tom and I pray for it on Fridays, acknowledging that as we grow and as we get that new building out there and we have this lovely parking lot and that giant mound of dirt's about to get mushed out and spread around, uh, it will be increasingly easy for us to just kind of pack it in and become consumers. 
instead of becoming workers and continuing to use the gifts that God has given to continue to bless his name, continue to build up the body here. And it is extremely important that we teach our children that. That our kids grow up knowing what it means to constantly serve in the church. So that that's their expectation, so that's their category, so they don't have to kind of reinvent this and relearn it as an adult or certainly learn it the hard way. Now, it's interesting here in this passage, all of this really kind of flows out of a body whose heart is willing. A body who's so excited about what God is doing. A body that is so overflowing with joy that they throw money at the issue. In fact, actually, we're going to find out at some point they have to stop contributions because they have too much. Like, Yes, we needed like a metric ton of gold, but you've given us two tons and we really have to stop because we have to carry it wherever we go. You've got to stop. And that's a fun problem to think about of just a body that's so excited um, that the eagerness actually becomes challenging. And if we're going to be honest, I think most of us recognize that that's not a struggle that we have all of the time. More often than not, we're like, man, I struggle to, to be motivated to serve the Lord, not to like actually have to put a damper on my zeal. I'm so excited to serve God that I, I run into problems. We don't find that very often. I think there's an intriguing reason, I, I think, connected to this. How do we maintain this healthy generosity? How do we maintain this giving spirit? How do we maintain uh, this hope? Well, it's actually where the chapter started. It's those first three verses that nobody remembers that you skipped over and that you don't pay attention to. Moses assembled the congregation, all of the people of Israel, and said, first things first. He said, we have to fix our priorities correctly. It's interesting, did he, did he lead off with, hey, we need to give at all costs? No. Did he lead off with, if you don't give, then we don't have a house of God? No. Did he lead off with any sort of kind of emotional... No, he didn't lead off with any sort of manipulation or ploy or anything. What did he lead off with? This is what God has commanded you to do. Keep the Sabbath. What? In fact, actually, this is the strongest we've heard it said yet anywhere. Remember, this is the, the, this is the commandment of the ten. This is the one that is talked about the most frequently. Out of all of the ten, this is the biggest. There are things the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done. Seventh day you shall have a Sabbath, a holy rest, holy unto the Lord. Okay, got that. And that's the ten commandment. We got that. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. Well, that's serious. That's been introduced in the last time this theme has come up, but that's a big deal. Verse 3, however, is entirely new. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. This is a really interesting command. This is actually, I think, probably the most interesting part of the entire chapter. Why no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day? It obviously doesn't mean the Jews were not allowed to have fire. Because there's one place we know they have to have fire on the Sabbath day, specifically in the tabernacle. Because you're doing offerings, sacrifices, you have to have fire for that. 
They're not forbidden fire. They're specifically forbidden fire in their homes. And I suspect there's a couple of reasons for this. One is, I, I suspect that it's recognizing the temptation to cut corners for God's sake. To say, look, the end, it justifies the means. As long as we're building the house of God, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how much we do on the Lord's day, as long as it's for the Lord. As long as it's for his house, we can do all of the metal work. We can do all of the woodworking. We can set the stones and grave them, set them in the breastplate. And it's interesting, the Lord's saying, no, you don't. You don't. You don't do that on my day. And I suspect the reasoning behind that is because how easy it is to mistake the work or the place for the person. To mistake the work of God for the person of God. What does that mean? Well, we have this in the New Testament, right? Jesus is ministering. He goes and visits Mary and Martha. And you remember the two, they do very different things. One of them comes and sits at the feet of Jesus and says, I just need to listen to you. And the other is so constantly busy that Jesus has to rebuke her. Look, you're busy serving me and you haven't been with me. And I'll be honest, there's probably no person in this room that feels that tension more than me. Because I work really hard on Sunday. And that great risk of getting so caught up in the work that we forget the person. Not me, we forget the person of God. And as I started thinking about this sermon, that, that was actually really where I landed in terms of biggest impact for this body. We're about to have a new sanctuary, God willing. We're hoping to break ground very soon. The Lord has blessed us so over and above, richly with money, with the need, with people. He's blessed us so much. I do want to acknowledge, though, that there's going to be a very real temptation for us to get caught up in that building or to get caught up in the growth, or to get caught up in each other and how much we love each other, or to get caught up in how noble elite you are to be here at 8.30 on a Sunday morning when there's a fellowship meal at 11. To get caught up in all those things and to lose sight of Christ. And as I started thinking about it, I guess, I guess that's really in so many ways the temptation for people who are surrounded with good things. To get caught up in parenting and to lose sight on Christ. To get caught up in work. One of those things that's actually given prior to the fall. It's a good thing. Should work. Six days. To get caught up in work and to lose sight of Christ. Maybe to get caught up in sorrow 
or sadness, to, to get caught up in our joys or our gladnesses, to get caught up in the various things of our lives and to lose sight of Jesus. I'm going to acknowledge, recognize in a room this size, we don't have as many full seats as we will probably, Lord willing, in a little bit. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that probably describes a fair portion of us. Of people who love the Lord, who are delighted to be in Christ, but get so distracted with good or difficult things that we forget to be with Him. We forget to know Him. We forget to be in relationship with Him. And the amazing thing is, is I think so often, this chapter only works in this order. A people who are preoccupied with God that has generosity flow out of it. And a generosity that is top to bottom, left to right, encompasses the entire nation. Because if you lose that great loving affection for the Lord God, that generosity becomes obligation. It can become manipulation. It can become drudgery and just... Another reason why it's the Sabbath here that's mentioned is because in terms of this covenant and the way it works, this Sabbath is the symbol of his presence. It's perhaps the easiest out of all of the commandments to use as a metric for being in God's presence. You mean it's really easy to measure, have I murdered somebody this week? I haven't, just so you know, maybe last week, but not this week. But that's largely a metric of how I interact with my neighbor. It's hard to have a metric for idolatry. It's hard to have a metric for only one God. It's in many ways even hard to have a metric for how to use the Lord's name at the day. That in so many ways is it's the personification of the covenant. It's do you want to be with God in this time? Use his day. He has specifically told you, take a day off every week. His day. Use it to be with his people. Go fellowship with the body of Christ. Spend it in the Lord's presence. Use his day. And it's where also so many times we do see those warning signs coming. Where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I love God. I mean, I can't give him his day. And then how much follows after? Where we suddenly become all bark and no bite. This is the challenge with a sermon like this, I guess, is where we're doing this very well. This body has done this very well for a very long time. Praise God. Let's rejoice in Jesus. But the trick with something that you've been doing very well for a very long time, is that it's very easy to stop. And it almost always happens without you even noticing. Without even fully being aware. And it's hard to help keep that motivation, that little bit of fuel, that little bit of intensity to be reminded. Let us worship the Lord in gladness, for He is generous to us. 
forgiven us our sins in Christ, given us his spirit, and on top of that, blessed us with everything needful. In light of that, then let us go serve in his church. Then let us go be generous. Love the Lord and delight in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your generous gifts to your people. Thank you for this generous people. We bless you for Christ's sake. Amen.